Good morning, good morning, Cable Smith. Welcome everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thank you guys and gals for being here today. I sincerely appreciate it. There's no place I'd rather be than talking hunting, fishing the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well, our longtime presenting sponsors. We've got a great show lined up for you today. So, Without further ado, you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos. It probably says Stanley across the front of it. Maybe it still has mud caked on it from duck seasons that have come and gone. But either way, pour yourself another cup because we're ready to rock and roll. And here's what we're doing today. Off the top, we've got a brand new dove recipe for you. And uh, it's outside of the box and one that really will help you get the most mileage out of those dove. Think about uh, an extra meal that you could get out, even if you make poppers with your dove breasts, like 90% of us do. Uh, you just save your carcasses, and I'm going to tell you how to turn that into a delicious southwestern dove tortilla soup. Uh, it's very easy and, and one that uh, I think you should throw in the rotation, especially as the weather gets colder. It's hearty and delicious. And then I'll also share a, uh, a, well, a funny situation. It wasn't so funny at the time because I wasted an, an entire day making this bone broth. Uh, but it, it didn't end the way that I had hoped it would. And maybe you can learn from my mistake. The one that you think everybody knows that liquid expands when it freezes, right? Yeah, well, apparently a lot more than I thought it would. <laughs> so... And, oh, the missus was mad at me that day. Then a fascinating topic because, you know, all we hear is we have this feral hog epidemic, this population explosion, right? I mean, that's what everyone tells us. Well, I'm not seeing it. I think we've reached the tipping point. I honestly do because I'm not seeing more hogs than I've seen previously. And we now have hogs in every county in Texas. So that number that's been thrown out there is like 2 million, right? And we've heard the same number for 10 years based off of uh, an old report from Texas Parks and Wildlife. Well, if they're multiplying at, let's just conservatively say, 20% a year, well, then we should have 10 million hogs in Texas by now, and we don't. So what gives? Because all I hear is doom and gloom, but I don't think it's really that bad. Uh, so John Kinsey of Texas Parks and Wildlife, he's a uh, research biologist down at the Kerr Wildlife Management Area. Uh, he'll be here to discuss that population trend. And uh, now, for, for folks outside of Texas, yeah, I feel for you because they are coming. And places where, and, and John will get into this more, but where we thought cold weather would prevent their expansion doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Uh, and then also, we will discuss the sodium nitrite poison that Texas Parks and Wildlife has been um, testing for almost a decade now. They don't actually manufacture it, but they have been testing it, and John is very hands-on with that effort as well. So uh, cool stuff coming up here with John. 
And then at the bottom of the hour, there's a brand new caliber out there. It's been out, I guess, was unleashed at SHOT Show last year. Well, this year, 2019. It's the 350 Legend, one that I'm excited to test out this fall. And so Linda Powell, our old friend from Mossberg Firearms, will be here. And we'll discuss the 350 Legend, also the 375 Ruger and its capabilities for dangerous game. Uh, we'll get into that as well, among other things, with our longtime friend, Linda Powell. So that's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. I guarantee you that. A couple other things to mention. Keep sending in those outdoor photos, your best hunting, fishing, outdoor photos. You can email them to LoneStarOutdoorShow at gmail.com because every month we select the best photo uh, and the 12 monthly winners will square off at the end of 2019 for a chance to be our grand prize photo of the year winner. What does that mean? It means one of y'all will hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So cool stuff on that front. Uh, let's do a quick giveaway. How about a Vortex Optics prize pack for today? I've got a Vortex beanie, cap, and t-shirt. It's their mule deer t-shirt. It says the banquet deer. Uh, it's a play on the, the uh, Coors campaign. But anyway, uh, email the word Vortex to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. And I'll get you entered into this week's giveaway. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, a dove recipe that you probably haven't thought of before, but one that will help you get the most mileage out of those delicious little buggers that we love to chase every fall. We'll do it next. We won't start out. Don't wait up In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for Three Crow Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. Three Crow does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to threecurl.com or call 214-641-8097 today. Hey, this is Chris Knight, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Brand new stuff 
stuff from our buddy Chris Knight bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm Cable Smith. Uh, I'm William Callahan. That's the name of that tune right there. One of, I think, three songs that's been released off the record. That's the thing these days is uh, the artists, they don't, they don't put out the whole record at one time. They leak it song by song. And uh, that's like the trend is one song at a time until all 10 or 12 or however many songs are on the record have been released. And I guarantee you, Chris doesn't give a crap about when the songs are released. That's uh, just something the music industry does and i'm sure management has told him hey this is what we're doing and chris is about as gruff a person as you'll meet he literally has the personality of a dead moth we've had him on the show three or four times it was i think on the fourth interview he finally remembered my name and uh, actually laughed a little bit so i think our rapport has gotten better over the years (laughs) but uh certainly takes some prodding to get that guy to open up love his music though he's a hell of a storyteller uh, this segment of the presentation is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'm a proud member. Love to invite you to join our ranks as well because this group of folks is passionate about three things, hunter's rights, education, and conservation. Doesn't that sound like something that you'd be interested in? I know I am. For more info, check us out at biggame.org. With that being said, I've got a new recipe that I want to share with you right now as Dove season is in full swing. A lot of you probably still have a bunch of birds in your freezer. And that's great because I've got a way for you to extend those dove breasts into two meals. So go ahead, make your poppers. Um, you could leave leave them on the bone if you want to. Bacon wrap them, jalapenos, cream cheese. Uh, I like to put a peach in there as well. Give it a little sweet with the heat and then put a dry rub on them. And whether you fillet them, you know, the breast meat off the bone, or like I said, do it bone in, doesn't matter, but save the carcasses because what you're going to do is you're going to freeze them. And whenever it's convenient for you to make this next dish, you'll thaw them out and you will boil them for 45 minutes. Uh, so you've got your, I mean, I, mine were bone in cause I I'd, had already filleted the, uh, the breast meat off for my poppers. And, you know, the kids don't like to navigate around bones and those dove have little bones in there so i made it easy for them so i kept the carcasses uh boiled them for 45 minutes and what we're making here is southwestern dove tortilla soup here's my recipe it's so easy literally put them in a pot boil them walk away come back 45 minutes later pull them out let them cool and then the meat is going to be and there's still a lot of meat left on those things by the way um, the meat is going to be so tender and, and anytime the meat is touching the bone, it's already even more tender than another cut. And that's regardless of what species you're working with, whether that's a bird or a, a deer or anything in between. Uh, so pull the meat off. I think I had about 10 carcasses that I boiled and, uh, you'll pull the meat off there. You'll end up with a nice big pile of boiled dove meat. And you are then going to use the the water that was in your pot and you're going to make basically a half and half mixture of that broth with chicken stock and that will form the basis for the broth of your dove tortilla soup and you need you want it to be about 50 50 so it should be about two or three cups of each you'll have to to do the math on depending on how much water you used and how many dove breasts you were boiling uh, but I basically had three cups of each. So that's the uh, 
the basis for the stock. Then you're going to add a half a can of Rotel tomatoes. You don't want this thing to be overpoweringly flavored with tomatoes, but you definitely want some of that in there. So a half a can is what uh, my recipe calls for. Plus, you're going to need three jalapenos. I was fortunate enough. I mean, my jalapenos in my garden this year have just done phenomenal. So I went and pulled three off of there. Uh, you're going to slice them. If you want them, if you want this dish to be a little hotter, leave the seeds in. If you don't, de-seed them. But you're going to slice three jalapenos, throw those in there. You want half of a white onion, diced or chopped. Uh, then you're going to add a teaspoon of minced garlic. And you'll have your pot going on low heat at this point. So throw all of these ingredients in there. You will add your boiled dove breast back to the mixture at this point, and you will let it simmer on low heat for 30 to 45 minutes. Basically, you can use the onions as your barometer for when the dish is done because when they are soft enough and, and are no longer at all crunchy, uh, that's when it's safe to, to serve it. And the only thing I didn't mention is you'll add salt to taste. So you need to check on it you know, a couple times while it's simmering. Low heat, like I said, 30 to 45 minutes should be good, and you can add salt as you are checking on it. So that is it. It's so simple. It's literally one of those recipes. It's like 10 minutes of prep time, and then you have to check it a couple times. Uh, that should serve three to four people. And guess what? It's good for you. Uh, nothing in there is full of fat or cholesterol or anything like that. Uh, just meat that you've harvested organically in the field if you can shoot. <laughs> and uh, some vegetables, and then knock yourself out. Serve with sliced avocado, top with cilantro, shredded cheese, sour cream if you want, uh, all of that stuff. And then tortilla chips, of course, which uh, I decided to forego and uh, traded mine in for a Lone Star beer just to kind of keep the carbs at a minimum. So there you have it, my recipe for Southwestern Dove Tortilla Soup which is really a great recipe. You know, all of the soups, stews, chilies, it's that time of year. So uh, there's one for you to try. Save those dove carcasses. Don't throw them out. That's my advice anyway. Uh, and, and one other funny thing, I don't know if any of y'all have ever tried to make stocks before, uh, but man, I, I spent an entire day last year boiling my uh, the bones from my elk and made a huge ungodly mess in the kitchen Got all that collagen stuck all over Mrs. Smith's pots. She was not happy about that. But I was like, I don't care. Look at all this delicious bone broth that I have procured. But I ran into one little hiccup, and that was that I filled the jars up three-fourths of the way full. When I came back maybe a month later to, uh, to grab one of those jars to thaw out, all of them were spiderwebbed just completely wasted an entire day messing with that so uh <laughs> don't fill them up even three quarters of the way uh maybe use tupperware or plastic bags in the future so you don't end up wasting your time like i did but man it was delicious when i tasted it i was just uh sick to my stomach that i never got to use it in a recipe let's do this let's take a quick break when we come back we'll be joined by john kinsey of texas parks and wildlife i think that our feral hog population has reached the tipping point. We've been hearing for years that there's this feral hog explosion, but I'm not seeing it. There should be 10 million hogs in Texas by now, right? Going off the numbers, 
but that's not reality. Plus, what is the latest on Texas Parks and Wildlife's experimental sodium nitrite hog poison? Yep, they are still testing that, and we'll discuss it next with John Kinsey on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. You can't get to heaven living this hard. Deliver me from my sorrow and shame. Release me from my burden and pain. Hi, I'm Luke Anderson, the owner of Colt Construction. I'm also a proud outdoorsman and proud to support the Lone Star Outdoor Show. With roots dating back generations of hard work in the outdoors, I take pride in serving the citizens of the Lone Star State. There are tons of so-called roofing contractors in North Texas, but having a qualified, experienced, trustworthy one to deal with is few and far between. We want to be your one-stop shop to leave it better than we found it and have a relationship that goes past just improving your home or business. We run on three main principles, quality, because quality comes with a price. We want to do it right the first time and use the best materials. Integrity, because you want to know the true condition of your home or business. And I'm going to be honest and tell you exactly what I think. Grit, because I've swung the hammer. Bottom to top, I've done the labor. I know how the system works. We specialize in many different systems, including metal, clay tile, flat roofing, and good old shingles. You can find us at coltbuilds.com, our Facebook page, or our phone number is 817-789-7588. Colt Construction, dirty hands, clean money, your blue-collar guy to call. I'm Jerry Mitchellark, professional shooter, and welcome to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. He said he ain't no hound, he's a black-mouthed cur, he'll do what you got in mind. He gonna tree any coon or catch any hog, pin any steer in sight. He'll watch over your youngins and defend them until he breathes his last breath. Now seen a few dogs. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Blackmouth Curs, the name of that one, for my buddy Justin Bowerman. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thanks to our title sponsor, Dallas Safari Club, and uh, also Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. We've got a fascinating topic to get into here momentarily concerning the feral hog epidemic, as it has been labeled, the explosion. But I'm not seeing it, guys. Where are all the hogs? Of course, you know, we see them on our leases, on uh, WMAs, all the places that we hunt. There's hogs, but I think we've reached carrying capacity because just by doing the numbers, and I'm not a mathematician, but based off of what we're told regarding their reproductive cycle, we should have 10 million hogs in Texas alone, but we don't. There's no way we do. Uh, so I've asked someone who is much more well-versed on the matter than myself, uh, John Kinsey from Texas Parks and Wildlife to jump on with us. And we'll get into that momentarily. Uh, also discuss the sodium nitrite poison that TPWD is still testing. Uh, but first, this segment is proudly brought to you by Vortex Optics. If you haven't had a chance to check out the Razer AMG 6 to 24 by 50, you need to. This is the nicest scope that I've ever owned. I've got it currently on my 300 Win Mag, which I'm taking moose hunting this week. It's available in MRAD or MOA, your choice. It's the Razer AMG, and you can find it at vortexoptics.com. Vortex, the force of optics. Well, let's bring on our first guest here. Joining us now, it's TPWD wildlife research biologist, John Kinsey. Thanks for being here, man. No, I appreciate you having me. My pleasure. So first of all, tell us a little bit about what you do as a wildlife biologist for Texas Parks and Wildlife, uh, specifically at the Kerr Wildlife Management Area. 
Yeah, so my position is is kind of unique within the agency. Um, my primary responsibility is research. Uh, the Kerr Wildlife Management Area is a research and demonstration area, so we take questions that the landowners around the area may have um, and try to answer those scientifically, and then bring them out to teach them how we solve the problem or how we didn't solve the problem so that they know how to better manage their properties. Okay. Uh, and so within that, uh, my pr primary responsibility is, is feral pig research. Um, and uh, we, we research uh, novel control techniques to population estimators, uh, to behavior of the animals. Um, there's a lot that we don't know about feral pigs, so um, quite quite a wide range of research going on here. Okay, well, and, and that's what I want to talk about today is feral hogs. I really want to get into the numbers because from what I can tell, the feral hog epidemic might have reached its apex, and, and I want to get into some of the numbers here momentarily, but I guess looking back, you know, the, the piece that Rick Taylor wrote years ago uh, the feral hog in Texas, which can still be found on TPWD's website. I guess that's always kind of been viewed as the authority on the, the topic. Otherwise, I don't know why you guys would still have it on the website. Um, but the number that we, we, it's like I've been doing this show for almost a decade, and that number of feral hogs, 1.5 million, 1.5 million. That's what we've been hearing, right? Um, is, is that still accurate, do you think, today? Um, no. Uh, I would tell you that the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, those guys do quite a bit of research, um, and, and they put out an estimate, I want to say in 2014, uh, estimating that in Texas alone there was uh, 2.6 million pigs. Um, and then in 2000, it's actually a 2019 publication, but it was using 2016 data uh, the national estimate of for feral pigs is is jumped up from five million to six point nine million, and they they do estimate still that in Texas it's still probably around that two point six million number. So to your point about it kind of reaching an, an apex, um, when when you're talking about a, a population size of two point five million. Uh, an additional 100,000 or 200,000 here or there doesn't really move the needle that much, mm -hmm, right? right? So when, when we're talking about that scale, um, it's, it's a little more difficult to pick up those, those changes in, in density. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you that from, you know, just from the time that I've started working on this project, we've, we've increased the number of counties in Texas that have viable pig populations. Um, uh, the next time that the the Southeastern Cooperative Wildlife Disease Study Group puts together their national feral swine map, it will include uh, El Paso County. And, and when they do that, Texas will be completely inundated from a county perspective. All 254 counties will will have viable populations of pigs. So, oh, way to go, El Paso. It was just a matter <laughs> of time, right? <laughs> it's just a matter of time. I'm glad they were sure, able to join the party finally. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, so on a on a more fine scale, it's it's difficult to to pick up those those small scale range expansions across the state of Texas. But uh -huh. there are definitely places um, that are getting new pigs. Um, yeah. Well, well. So let me ask you this. So let's talk about the reproductive cycle. You know, we hear that they can have two litters a year. A sow can. But even in Rick's article. 
Uh, it says most of the sows generally only have one litter a year. Uh, what, like, is it four to eight piglets? What is the what's the normal size? Four to eight is the is the general range. So let's um, let, let's real quick talk about the physiology of of, of pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, it is physiologically possible uh, for a sow to have three litters in about fourteen months, mm-hmm. but we've we've done that right. We in a in an agricultural production standpoint, we we've manipulated or we we've bred them to be able to produce rapidly. Yeah. Uh, realistically, though, whenever those animals get out of that domestic setting and out on the landscape, become feral pigs, uh, they're much more in tune with the resources that are available to them. Uh, so if if there's not ample resources for the for a sow to raise the a litter, she's she's not going to have one, right? Yeah. So uh, we do see peaks in, in farrowing or, or birthing uh, throughout the year, and those are those are typically correlated with summer and winter months. However, there there are litters that are born throughout the entire year, hmm. um, and on average, yes, we're looking at four to eight pigs per litter. Um, but there are extreme cases. Uh, you'll definitely see twelve to fourteen pigs occasionally, but um, those are, those are the upper limits. Okay. And so, out of the, or let's let's say it like this: uh, What percentage of those piglets reach reach maturity? That's a that's an incredibly good question, and one that that still requires some some scientific research. Uh, but it is a high percentage. Um, there are not um, very many natural predators of of pigs, and they're incredibly disease tolerant. So. Uh, their, their survival is is very high. Um, when it comes to controlling the population, uh, you and I, you know, humans are are the the key there. Mm-hmm. Well, so and I've just you know I was doing some of the math here, spitballing off of that 1.5 million number because you know that's I don't know when uh, Rick wrote that article, but I, I think it's got to be a decade old. Um, yeah, it's sitting on my desk. I can tell you exactly when he wrote it here in a second. Yeah. Well, so, but if you have 1.5 million pigs, and let's just say, you said that a, a, the majority of the piglets reach maturity, let's just say it's 50%. Um, and then you have, do you guys have any idea of what percentage of pigs, hunters, and trappers are removing from the population every year? Sure do. Uh, the The best estimate we have is 29% of population reduction annually. Okay. And and here's the problem with that. Uh, it is it is widely reported and, and widely accepted that we would have to remove uh, somewhere between 65 and 70% of the population annually just to maintain it at its current level. All right? Yeah. So um, if we're only removing 29%, we're we're missing the mark, and and the population has definitely got the potential to grow. Um, and something that that we don't we haven't discussed yet is is damage. I don't know if you want to get into that. Um, yeah, that they deeply. cause to agriculture and stuff like that. Um, sure. Yeah, um, but 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 I I want to I want to go there in a minute because I still want to I'm still doing the math here, and I'm trying to find out like something's not adding up. So there was 1.5 million. You just said, you know, majority of piglets reach maturity. We're going to say 50%. Hunters and trappers are killing 30%. So that's a 20% population growth annually. These things live uh, four to eight years, roughly. So in five years, we should have had 5 million pigs. And and then after a decade, 
decade, we mm-hmm. should have had 10 million pigs. So yeah. if, if there was a fence around Texas. Yeah. Well, so yeah, but 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 we're not we're not growing at that rate. So I'm, that's why I'm like maybe we are all need to come back off of this feral hog epidemic ledge that we seem to have been perched on for the last decade because the, they're not growing. The population is not growing at the rate that you know it seems like it should be. Not in Texas because we're we're starting to reach carrying capacity in a lot of places. Yeah. But the the population is dispersing okay. uh, at a very rapid rate northward. Um, they're they're getting into places that we didn't anticipate them being able to survive. Michigan, uh, Canada, uh, the cold weather is not keeping them from from reaching those places like we had had initially hoped. So, uh, sure, if if you just want to if you just want to isolate the pig problem to Texas, no, it's not growing at a rapid rate because there's not a whole heck of a lot of places left for them to get. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Whenever we have this discussion, I prefer to have a, a pig discussion nationally. Sure. Um, because the the range is is 100% expanding. Yeah, and I had I had heard about those hogs in Michigan. I was a uh, I was actually in an Illinois uh, whitetail camp last year, and we had a couple guys in camp from Michigan, and they were like, "Yeah, we've got feral hogs now." I was like, "No kidding." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't think that they could handle the cold temperatures like that. So. Yeah, so they're being. Um, it, it seems like anyway they're they're being uh, kept fat and happy from uh, agricultural crops, uh-huh. and uh, they're being able to to support themselves, support those populations on on agricultural crops up there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So while Texas may have reached kind of that tipping point on carrying capacity, there's still uh, there's a bunch of the country left where, uh, just like El Paso County, uh, these these hogs are dispersing into um what uh what kind of studies does texas parks and wildlife currently have going on and do you work in conjunction with other state wildlife agencies to to try to track the expansion of these hogs uh we we have a representative that reports to that uh, southeastern cooperative wildlife disease study group that I was telling you that has been mapping the spread of pigs across the uh, across the United States since the early 80s. Uh, so from a, a population monitoring standpoint, that's that's pretty much where pop, where Texas Parks and Wildlife lies. Um, research that we're conducting and collaborating with other state and federal agencies uh, specific, specifically. Um, we're involved in researching uh, and developing an oral toxicant to combat the pigs, to mm-hmm. get that 29% annual population decrease, a little bit closer to that 70% population decrease so that, so that we can be manageable with these populations. Uh, and that is a, a, an international collaboration with with Australia and New Zealand and um, USDA Wildlife Services, their National Wildlife Research Center up there in Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, and several different collaborators, uh, especially across the southeastern United States. Uh, We're also involved in some behavioral studies um, that may inform us on how to better bait for pigs, uh, increase our um, effectiveness in trapping or uh, if there's a toxicant ever registered, to be able to be more efficient with that, mm-hmm. to understand how those pigs uh, act around those bait sites. And then more small-scale population estimators. 
um, so that an individual rancher or a farmer may be able to to better understand what their population reduction efforts are are doing. Um, it's it's great whenever whenever our guys go out and say, "Hey, look, I trapped a thousand pigs last year." Well, that's that's impressive, but a thousand out of how many? Two point six uh, million, you said. Right. <laughs> so uh, if if we don't if we don't understand how to how to gauge our success. Uh, we don't know if we need to if we need to be doing more or not. So sure. those small scale population estimators are important there as well. Well, and you know, a thousand's a lot more than. And I hear this all the time. You know, if there's such a feral hog epidemic, people and people will spout off on Facebook and Instagram, send me emails. All these landowners are so greedy; they won't let me come onto their land to shoot their feral hogs, and and yet they, you know, they're saying they're getting their asses handed to them in in. Uh, crop depredation and all this, that, and the other. And I'm like, listen, buddy, you and your uh, best friend, Bo, and your six-pack of Bud Light, you're not doing the landowner any favors by going out there and shooting one or two hogs. That's a, You're the only one that wins in that situation. One or two hogs is, is a drop in the bucket. And then he's got the liability of you having you know, having you on his property, rutting up his, his place, and all this, that, and the other. I'm like, the, really, aerial gunning and trapping and, to a lesser extent, you know, thermal image hunting, those can help limit a you know population, but just the average recreational hunter thinking he's doing a farmer a favor by shooting a couple of pigs is laughable. That is correct. So I mean, I and people get mad at me because I side with the landowner. I'm like, look, this is the reality. You're not helping him with his problem. So, well, and and all the liability is on his shoulders. So I, I understand it. Um, yeah. And so then from a from a large scale population reduction standpoint, uh, you you're, you are correct that that recreational hunting really doesn't uh, really doesn't impact the population. Yeah, it's fun. You know, we all want to do it, but but you got to sure. pay to play. Uh, or you can hey make friends with a farmer, help him fix his fences, and and then maybe you'll get access to his place to help with the or at least have some fun shooting his feral hogs. One thing I wanted to to talk about also though, John, and and I found this interesting recently because Texas Parks and Wildlife. I guess uh, effective this year said you no longer need a license to hunt feral hogs and I work closely with one thermal outfit uh, here in the North Texas area and they said just off of their out-of-state numbers because that's like over 60% of their business that's $15,000 you know a five-day hunting out-of-state hunting pass is 48 bucks they did the math that was $15,000 in revenue that TPWD just I guess threw away it is what it is I don't understand why they would say you don't have to have a license to hunt to hunt hogs. Uh, you're you're getting a little bit above my pay grade there, Cable. <laughs> I thought you might I, say I'll, that. I will I will give you this. Um, the the revenue that we may have have been receiving off of of uh, hunting licenses for feral pigs has not come close to the damage that feral pigs cause. Yeah. Um, and if this uh, if this helps in any way. Um, then it was probably worth it. So uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, well played. Um, what is the what is the damage estimate currently, statewide? So um, the best estimate we have is there's a there's a three hundred dollar cost associated with every pig that's in the United States, and that's an estimate from the early two thousand. So uh-huh. assuming that holds true, um, at that time. They estimated 5 million pigs in the United States, so it was $1.5 billion worth of damage annually. And that's, that's an aggregate estimate, so that's not just damage. It's also control costs, 
damage mitigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a lot that goes into that, um, to golf courses and agricultural and vehicle collisions. Uh, but if you, if you apply that $300 amount to today's estimate of $6.9 million, then we're closer to $2.1 billion annually that we spend. Uh, and that's, that's the stuff that we can put an economic value to. Um, it's very difficult to try to put an economic value to the to the water quality damage that is happening, or the damage to sensitive ecosystems like our wetlands. Um, it, it's very difficult to monetize that. But if you could, it, it would most definitely increase that uh, that damage cost almost exponentially. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so a couple, a couple other points I wanted to mention and, and that same, uh, outfitter I was talking about, he's, he's been working closely with, um, I think it's the, uh, Texas, uh, Texas Ag Commission. I don't know the exact, uh, forget the name of it, but he told me that they informed him that beavers actually do more damage in Texas than feral hogs, but that. Nobody really wants to come out and, and say, hey, we need to kill all these beavers because beavers are cute, and you know, then you have this whole PR nightmare. Is there any validity to that? Uh, I wouldn't be able to speak on the damage that, that beavers are causing. Hey, no worries on that front. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a break and come back and get into something I know you can speak on, and that is the sodium nitrite poison that Texas Parks and Wildlife has been uh, experimenting with here over the last decade or so. And we'll get into that after the break. Uh, That segment, by the way, was brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. If you haven't seen the All Seasons Stand and Fill, you need to check it out because no more ladders, no more trying to fill up your feeders off, you know, the back of your tailgate. No, you just stand there and dump the corn in or protein, whatever it is. Uh, But it's the All Seasons Stand and Fill available in 300, 600, and I think even 1,000-pound models. So check it out. It's what I've got on the deer lease. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll be right back with more from Texas Parks and Wildlife research biologist John Kinsey on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Just give me one thing that I can hold on to To believe in this living is just a hard way to go Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. To this road that was windy, steep, and cool. The road to you made a concrete green and gold. And I drive all night and I keep it inside like a lighthouse standing alone. And the moon. Brand new stuff there from our friends Mickey and the Motor Cars. Road to You, the name of that one. Uh, their uh, new record. Check that out when you get a chance. Good stuff, as always, from. Mickey and Gary Braun and company. Uh, I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for being here today as we are talking feral hogs with Texas Parks and Wildlife research biologist 
uh, John Kinsey. We'll pick it back up with John momentarily and dive into the sodium nitrite poison that uh, TPWD has been testing for some time. But before we do that, this segment is proudly brought to you by First Light and the Sawbuck Pants. Hey, if you're an upland hunter, if you hunt whitetails in South Texas, if you hunt anywhere where thorns, stickers, briars, cactus are going to scratch you, cut you, grab you, you need to check out the Sawbuck because it's going to keep your legs protected. In layman's terms, it's got a brush guard on the front, and it's still vented in the back. So if you're doing a lot of walking, it's still breathable, you're comfortable, and it's not going to leave you all hot and bothered. So check it out. It's the Sawbuck Pant. You can find it at firstlight.com. Firstlight, go further. Stay longer. Okay, well, um, I do have to throw out there before we get back into it with John uh, that in 2018, the sodium nitrite, poison did result in like 200 birds being killed near one of the bait sites and that was due to uh spillage from the hogs birds got into it they all died so uh, john really didn't want to comment on that not because texas parks and wildlife didn't get in front of it they did it's more of a, a proprietary issue with the poison manufacturer so you can read more about it you can just search you know feral hog poison kills birds and it'll come up if you want more uh, info on that. So the delivery method still needed tinkering with. Hopefully they're working those kinks out as we speak. With that being said, John, uh, what is the latest with the sodium nitrite poison? Something that I don't think a lot of people realize y'all have been testing for some time. I mean, even you know, way before the uh, Wofferin-based poison that Sid Miller tried to introduce three, four years ago, which you know utterly failed. Uh, but yeah, you guys have been uh, messing around with this stuff for for a while. Uh, it's a it's a food preservative. Uh, mm-hmm. Prevents botulism. Um, you consume it almost every day. You, it's in bacon. It's in sausage. Um, mm, I so, like it then. <laughs> there's there's a lot of information about the chemical mm-hmm. that's available to us, um, and it it is also lethal in in high doses to pigs. Um, and we have been working on a project here for about 10 years. Um, my research coordinator, Justin Foster, uh, has been working on it for a long time. And it's the development of an oral toxicant uh, for feral pigs. And it is a sodium nitrite-based toxicant. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really not a whole lot to update you on right now, Cable, Um I will tell you that we are in the process of registering it with the EPA as a pesticide. Um, we have passed uh, several of their milestones, um, you know, 90% mortality in a pen setting. Um, it's one of the studies they require. Uh, we, we hit 95% mortality in those studies. So we know if we can get pigs to, to eat it, that um, it's going to work. It's a one-time ingestation, though? It sure is. Okay, sure that's is. great. For that- 400 milligrams per kilogram, so I, it's pr- difficult to equate, but I'll tell you that one good mouthful will usually do the job. Okay, and that's a lot different than that Wofford stuff. I thought, you know, they needed to eat that multiple times to be effective, if I remember correctly. Um, yes, that, that would have to accumulate in the system. Yeah. There were a couple other states that were testing this um, along with TPWD. So that's that's that large collaboration I was speaking on earlier. Okay. We're we're partners with National Wildlife Research Center out of Fort Collins, Colorado. That's mm-hmm. the USDA APHIS department. 
Um, and um, but they had certain test sites. I think one maybe Georgia or Alabama, and then um, I, what were the, the there's a field. The next step for the EPA registry is, is field testing. Okay. Um, and those tests will occur in in Texas and Alabama. Okay, that's what it was. Texas and Alabama. What makes it species specific is a delivery system that that we use, um, and only only feral pigs can operate and open that bait box. There will be an ecological assessment uh, uh, associated with that study, um, and that way we can quantify any risk. A lot of this information, and specific to the bait, is proprietary to the to the manufacturer. Yeah. So Texas Parks and Wildlife is not um, manufacturing the bait. We're, we're not manufacturing mm-hmm. the bait. We're we're a third party reviewer in in this stuff. We're um, we're just researching it to make sure that that those kind of things don't. Uh, don't happen if and when it ever is is registered and released. Yeah. Okay. Interesting there. So I, I mean, that's every conservationist, environmentalist. Uh, you know, anyone who cares about nature and wildlife. That that's the number one sticking point. And how do we prevent other animals from getting access to this poison? Because, like you said, there won't be one that's created. It's just wild pig specific. It's impossible. So. Mm-hmm. Um, that leads to the next question, though. So the pigs eat it, they ran off, they run off and die. Then, does it get into the food chain when uh, coyotes and birds and you know uh, varmints and everything else start feeding on the carcass? So uh, you you did say you said something about um, our our objective here is to you know the mission of Texas Parks and Wildlife paraphrase is to protect and conserve the natural resources of the state of Texas so that future generations can enjoy them mm-hmm. right um that is also the reason why I got into this field that's why I do what I do um uh, so that my children will be able to enjoy these things that I enjoyed growing up and and I and and my partners take that very very seriously so some of the stuff that we've done to to make sure that there are no unintended side effects uh, associated with a toxicant like this is test the sensitivity of um, scavenger species to sodium nitrite. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the results of that, you know, we we fed carcasses to um, vultures and coyotes, and um, there were no negative impacts to to either of those species. Um, and then we've also done some chemical lab assays uh, to quantify the residual sodium nitrite that's in those carcasses. Hmm. Um, and, and the residual sodium nitrite levels come back as being less than what's in a piece of bacon. Okay. Well, that's great so to hear. So very little to, to no concern about scavenging species. Okay. Uh, well, I guess from a, from a hunter's perspective, last last question on that front would be, Here's a hog. It ate the sodium nitrite. I happen to shoot that hog. Is it safe to eat? And and I mean, how long does it take for the hog to die once he's, you know, if he if I didn't shoot him and I just came across him, how long does it take before it kills it? Uh, as far as is it safe to eat, those those lab assays would indicate that it's incredibly safe to eat. Okay. Well, um, if it didn't kill a coyote, you know, it's probably. Probably not yeah. no big deal. But. The likelihood, though, of of you actually harvesting an animal uh, prior to mortality, uh, after it's consumed bait, is pretty unlikely. The, from the time of consumption to the time of mortality is less than three hours. Okay. Wow, so very effective killer on that front. That's great. 
Yes, and and then as so sodium nitrite is a met hemoglobin producer, and without getting into to blood chemistry, what it does is it it reduces the red blood cells ability to transport oxygen to the tissues mm-hmm. and that results in a very dark chocolatey blood so if if you um, if you start to process that animal you will realize very quickly um, that something was up mm-hmm. as we're kind of wrapping things up here what is the timetable for when and you know if this is ever made available to the public uh, that is, that is honestly not a question I could answer at the moment. Okay. Okay. Well, you guys have been working on it a decade, so I, I think a lot of people don't even realize that aspect. Um, yeah. And it, it started from, from the most basic concept and is, is now developed into to something that, um, that requires some very smart chemists to, to make this work, to reliably get it into the, into pigs. Mm-hmm. Well, very interesting stuff today, John. I certainly uh, appreciate the conversation, very educational, and I look forward to our next visit. Yes, sir. Call me anytime. Uh, one one plug. Uh, yeah. You kept uh, referencing Rick Taylor's uh, The Feral Pig or The Feral Hog in Texas publication. Yeah. That, uh, be on the lookout for a new one. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And uh, I'm sure you'll have uh, your hands all over that. So. I'll be looking forward to seeing your name there whenever it comes out. All right. Thank you, Cable. (laughs) All right, John. Hey, thanks again. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. So there you have it, the latest on the sodium nitrite toxicant. Really, it's a poison, but I guess a toxicant sounds more PC maybe. I don't know. Uh, But the latest on the poison that Texas Parks and Wildlife, in conjunction with a couple other states, uh, is currently testing and evaluating. Um, Interesting stuff there. I wonder if and when... It will become legal. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but kind of my thought on the uh, the previous segment as well is, hey, we've reached the tipping point. Hogs may expand into areas they weren't previously, but you're not going to see more hogs than you're already seeing on your property. I mean, if they're there, they're there, and you're stuck with them. Uh, but it's not like you're just going to see this explosion, and now you're going to have five or ten times more than you already do. So let's step back from the ledge just a little bit from a Texas perspective anyway, and uh, and understand that, hey, this is probably as bad as it's going to get. Um, now, for the other states where hogs are starting to show up, welcome to our world. <laughs> Sorry about you, truly. Uh, at least you guys will have something to hunt in the off season. That segment of the show was proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land... That's the one thing they're not making any more of, whether it's got hogs on it or not. We all want it, right? I know I do. Uh, So if you're ready to make that dream a reality, give Lone Star Ag Credit a call. They've been helping their borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you. Check them out at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, our good friend Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms joins us. We'll discuss the new 350 Legend caliber on the Lone Star Outdoors today. Since I was kind of on the outside, I know just how well that you lie. But I also know how to apologize and you don't. And so it goes.
Hey y'all, spring is here and that means a lot of things, but specifically your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them Cable sent you. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Hey, hey, y'all, this is Roger Crager, and if I'm not out fishing or trying to take over the world, I'm listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. A little more than a few old guns handed down the line. Once owned by my nana and papa, but now they're mine. Roger Kreger, I got the guns, one of my all-time favorites, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thanks, as always, to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris, our presenting sponsors. Thanks to you for being here, man. It is great to be talking all things outdoors and today the second amendment with you as we're about to visit with mossberg's linda powell but before we do that this segment brought to you by lone star beer the national beer of texas grab a 12 pack on your way to the deer lease this fall and celebrate knocking down that big buck with an ice cold lone star beer lone star beer the national beer of texas with that being said Let's bring her on right now. She is a longtime friend of the show. She's a passionate big game hunter and uh, really loves hunting bears more than anything else. Uh, I've had the pleasure of sharing camp with her before, and so it's my pleasure to welcome Mossberg's Linda Powell back to the program. I always enjoy visiting with you as well. Yeah. So uh, first of all, what are your plans for this fall? I always uh, you know, love hearing your, your stories of travel, and uh, I know you're always... Out there chasing bears at least once a year. I don't know if you've got anything <laughs> planned uh, like that for this fall, but uh, what's on your horizon? You know, coming up, I've got a uh, whitetail hunt in Kansas, uh, some waterfowl hunts. It's going to hit eastern North Carolina and Maine, and then kind of toward the end of the season, heading down to Mexico for a coos deer. So it's looking like it's going to be a pretty exciting fall. And what part of Mexico is that? I've, I've told my wife I want to go hunt whitetails in Mexico, and she's real worried that I'm going to like come back with m- missing my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've I've actually been down to this ranch. It's in Sonora, and it's probably oh maybe about an hour and a half south of Douglas um, and Agua Prieta, mm-hmm. that area. So we drive down. Uh, it's a great family-owned ranch. They're covered up with uh, ghouls turkeys. They have coos deer. Uh, you know, we usually see a few javelina and, and, you know, a few other critters running around there, but it's a great ranch. I've been there, oh, at least half a dozen times. And uh, just assure your wife that you'd be perfectly safe. <laughs> I, I know my family kind of cringes, too. I get the, oh, no, you're not going back to Mexico. But I absolutely love hunting in Mexico, you know, with the culture, the people, and they really do have an abundance of wildlife. So Yeah. Very cool. Well, Sounds like you've got a lot going on. Um, one one thing that I want to hit on right off the bat here is a relatively new caliber. I think it was uh, I think it came out last year, maybe at Shot Show, but it's the uh, 350 Legend. 
Um, I'm not real familiar with it, but I am going to, uh, I've got one on order and I'm going to be hunting whitetails with it here in Texas this, uh, this fall. So I will have a review on it uh, very shortly, but I know you've had a chance to play around with it. Um, tell us a little bit about that caliber and what it, like species you think it's an ideal fit for. Sure. It's kind of interesting when this came out. I think it was a round shot show. Uh, it's kind of a, a new cartridge in that category of straight wall. And what makes it nice is there are areas around the country where you can only, well, previously you can only hunt with, say, muzzle loaders or slug guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do allow these straight wall cartridge. Um, and the 350 is the latest. And I think the beauty of it is um, it does give you more energy than, say, things like the 3030. Um, but significantly less recoil than like other straight wall cartridges like the 450 Bushmaster. And from what I've been reading, I've only shot it at the range so far. Uh, so like you, I'm going to get out with it this fall and plan to use it on my whitetail hunt. But I, I really like what I've been reading about too is the performance as far as less recoil than say a 243 win. Oh wow! Uh, but it has greater penetration. So I think it makes an all-around great cartridge for, um, you know, if you're talking about small game, deer size game, even up to, you know, bears if you're doing more of a, you know, closer range or maybe hunting in brush. Mm -hmm. But the plus there is that less recoil. So it also, I think, makes it an ideal choice maybe for a younger shooter. Okay. Interesting. So is it, is it a fast load? Um, you know, you said less recoil than a 243. I, I, ballistically, I'm wondering, like, but but yet more penetration. So I'm wondering, like, you know, how is this thing del- delivering that kinetic uh, energy upon impact? Well, I think that the energy, it's it's actually stating, I was just, I was looking here at it while we were chatting a little bit. Um, it actually, as far as foot-pound energy, comes in uh, at about, um, oh, in comparison, it, it beats the 300 blackout, it beats the 3031, it beats the 223. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's actually at, I think it's got it at 903 foot-pounds of energy at 200 yards. Okay, okay. And so what, what grain bullet have you, were you shooting at, at the range? I think we were shooting the, I think 150 is what we were actually shooting. Um, and that's probably what I would probably choose to hunt with. Uh, that's kind of what I was looking at. Sure. Um, but you know, like you, I've, I've got one on order. I'm actually going to get out and work with a bit of the range before I take it on this hunt and, uh, you know, kind of see what performance I'm getting as well. Yeah. Okay. You know, like last year I took a, like a, a step back in time. I traditionally, you know, I, I think, uh, 308 was what I first started hunting with and then, um, used a seven mag there for three or four years. And then last year, and I think I might have had this gun for even a year before I really started using it a lot, but it was the uh, 270 Patriot that you sent me. Yes. And I was doing a lot of whitetail hunting in Texas, had gotten on a new lease, and you know that's for me the 270 is like the perfect just Texas whitetail gun. Uh, most of our shots aren't past 200 yards, and, and that bullet does start to drop pretty quickly when you get out to say 300 and further. Um, but you know we have our blinds and feeders set up and. Um, the style of hunting we do here, I think the 270 is just, uh, you know, it's that classic Texas deer rifle. And, and I killed, I think, three deer with it last year. Absolutely loved the performance of it combined with a, a Hornady I mean, bullet. 
you know, people are always, their debates. I mean, you see it online all the time or even just around a campfire. And I always tell people, you know, get the gun that you're comfortable shooting, and that means a gun that fits you, a gun that you can handle the recoil, and then spend some time with it at the range so you know which load is actually best as far as accuracy and performance. And that's the right choice then. You know, it doesn't matter if you're shooting a 270 or I'm shooting a new 350. You know, it's it's all in the gun that you're comfortable shooting and, and shoot well. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I just, I love, I absolutely fell in love with that, with that caliber. So, um, but as far as, uh, my son is, he'll be seven this fall. And he finally asked me about starting to shoot. So 270 is obviously going to be way too, uh, too much recoil for him. What, what do you think about the, that 350? I, I actually think that might be a good choice. You know, a lot of people do start, uh, their kids out on a 243. Uh-huh. And considering that, you know, it has less recoil than that, I think it could be ideal. And the beauty of it is, you know, we're going to offer it in our standard Patriot Synthetic, but we're also offering it in our uh, Super Bantam, which is our used gun or just for someone who needs a shorter length of pull stock, which ideally that's what I should shoot as well, Uh, particularly when you get out hunting and you add a few layers of clothing. uh, That shorter stock just fits me a little bit better. Uh But, you know, I think that'd be a great choice to start them with. Um, that Super Bantam has, you know, a, a spacer that you can put in as he grows. Then he can continue to shoot the rifle as well. And so for for those out there who, you know, maybe they're in the same situation as me, they've got a youngster that they they really want to start introducing to, you know, bigger calibers, rifles. Um, how How do those Bantam models, how do they function as far as recoil is concerned? It seems like if you've got a shorter stock, you're going to have more recoil. So when you're talking about someone that's, you know, uh, 55, 60 pounds, a kid, uh, how do they handle that? And, and how does that gun design to help with the recoil? Sure. And, and one of the things we do, too, is we don't just shorten the stock. So the overall dimensions are a little bit reduced. Uh-huh. Um, so that actually, and you talk to anyone, particularly firearms, uh, firearms instructors, um, if a gun fits you and fits you properly, then that, that helps to lessen recoil. If you're able to actually get a shotgun or a rifle kind of in that pocket just off of your shoulder, um, that makes a bigger difference sometimes in the caliber you're shooting. Although, of course, you know, the stock is designed, the way it's designed, it, it actually does have kind of a rounded cheek piece and all. And so the way that it fits actually does help reduce recoil. You add that plus a good solid recoil pad. And, you know, I always encourage people to look. I I don't think it's necessarily available in the 350, but in a lot of rounds there are low recoil um, cartridges available. So I, I would absolutely encourage if you're starting with someone that's a new or younger shooter, to look for those, some of those low recoil loads, mm-hmm. particularly for practicing at the range. Typically, it doesn't in, uh, affect your point of impact if you switch to something else to hunt with, at least not significantly where you have to recite in the gun. But I always say, you know, if you can spend a little more time at the range practicing and practicing with those low recoil loads can make a big difference. Then when you get out in the field, if you need to step up, um, you know, for what you're hunting, you're already comfortable with the rifle, so that's going to help tremendously. No doubt. What about uh, on the handgun side of things? Last year, 
Mossberg, and, and we talked about this, but I still think it's cool to mention. Uh, people don't realize when Mossberg was founded over 100 years ago, the first gun that you guys put out was called the, uh, was it called the, the Brown. Brownie? The Brownie, that's yeah, right. Yeah, the Brownie, which was a uh, pistol. And here we are, you know, 100 years later, and Mossberg, again, is in the handgun game. Uh, I think it was only a nine millimeter, though. I do have one and have enjoyed shooting it. Uh, it's a great concealed carry gun. Um, but I, I was curious if any other calibers will be coming out. Uh, well, I, I have to tell you to stay tuned right now. You know, obviously, <laughs> um, we did just bring out another uh, a version of the MC1SC. We have a stainless two tone, uh, still in nine millimeter. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, shot shows just around the corner. So. You might just want to kind of stay tuned and see what's coming next. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm predicting a 45. So <laughs> if I if 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 Mossberg wants to know what Cable wants, uh, yeah, that would be awesome. I'll, I'll be sure and let everybody know. <laughs> <laughs> um, one last thing that I wanted to talk about, and and I talked to uh, my buddy Blake Barnett about yeah. this caliber recently, as he just got back from a uh, really cool trip to uh, Australia where he was hunting Bantang which is a feral cattle species that I think originated in India. Uh, anyway, the British dumped them into Australia and basically forgot about them. Uh, and that Coburg Peninsula is a pretty remote area, so they've stayed um, 99.97% pure, this herd. And, and now Australia is like, um, sees value in it and is even protecting it and issues permits to hunt this national park there. And so I asked him, you know, you know, and Blake's done a lot more um, dangerous game hunting than I have and I wanted to know what his favorite caliber was. What did he take on this trip? What does he kill Cape Buffalo and the Big Five with? And he said the 375 Ruger. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's perfect because, you know, Mossberg makes a 375 Ruger, and I'm going on this Cape Buffalo hunt coming up here uh, next summer. And, uh, yeah, he said it's his favorite because it just doesn't really give you the recoil as the 400 calibers. And so for him, it you know, it makes him a better shot, but you don't really sacrifice anything on on the um, lethality side of, of taking dangerous game, hunting, you know, even stuff like elephants with it. So um, what uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, I imagine that you've taken it on some uh, brown bear hunts. I have. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good guess. You know, I, over the years I've shot the various, you know, like the 375 H&H mm-hmm. and on up to some of the big, you know, 400s like you've talked about. And more recently, probably the last, you know, eight to ten years have been more of a fan of the 375 Ruger. Uh, it's just very versatile. Again, um, you know, I don't feel that the recoil is as great as a, a lot of its, you know, competition. Uh-huh. Uh, to me, it's pretty comfortable to shoot. Uh, it's flat shooting. It's accurate. Uh, I think it actually has a little greater velocity than, say, the 375 h and H. I just found it to be a, a good all-around big-game cartridge. Um, and, again, for me, very comfortable to shoot. And in Mossberg, this is their, I mean, really the only caliber that they have that would be considered for uh, dangerous games. So, obviously. Yeah, when you, get, when you get up to, right, exactly. Yeah. Buffalo size, you know, brown uh-huh. bears, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it was a natural decision for us because it also is a short-action caliber, so. Um, you know, it fits nicely in our rifles without any modification. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, awesome stuff there. Um, and I think that one's available in synthetic. 
Correct. And uh, I believe our walnut, too. Walnut, the, yes, the standard okay. walnut, not the Patriot Revere. Right, right. Interesting stuff today. Uh, I don't know, as we're wrapping things up here, if, if there was anything on the tactical side you wanted to mention, but I figured I'd at least uh, open that door for you if you wanted to. Well, you know, we, we have such a wide range there. I mean, whether you're looking for, you know, uh, personal defense shotguns or long-range tactical rifles, and probably the best thing I can do is tell you to check out our website at Mossberg.com. Uh, that's an area that's really grown significantly over the past few years, and I think, you know, we pretty much have a firearm to meet your needs, whether you're looking more of being a competitive long-range shooter or if you're looking at something for personal home defense. Um, you know, we've got shotguns, rifles, and now that we're in the handgun business, I think we do probably have a, a model that would fit your needs. Yeah, and I imagine sales are on the uptick after uh, Beto's comments from a couple of weeks ago. So you know that sure doesn't hurt us. <laughs> <laughs> what an idiot, Linda! What an idiot! He—I don't think the guy has a clue. With I don't understand what's going on. But uh, I, when I heard that, I was like, "Wow, he's—he's going to be—he's doing a favor for all of our friends in the uh, firearm manufacturing industry. No doubt about that." Uh, absolutely, we, you know we. Uh, <laughs> We appreciate he'll probably get uh, salesman of the year. Yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate you, Linda. Thank you so much, and uh, good luck on your upcoming hunts. I, I look forward to hearing how uh, Mexico plays out for the coos deer. Thank you. You as well. Have have a great fall, and uh, you know, look forward to talking with you again in the future. Yes, ma'am. There she goes. Our good friend Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms. Always great talking rifles, shotguns, and the latest calibers with Linda. Uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue. Uh, unfortunately, just looking at the clock here, got to go, got to get out of here. Thanks to Linda, as well as our other guest today, John Kenzie of Texas Parks and Wildlife. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. One fall on the stool is what I heard the bartender say. I never thought my own life would ever turn out.